Look around, what do you see? Cars, lots of them. And guess what? They're probably on Auto Trader. Whether you're into timeless classics or the latest trends, did somebody say solar-powered, eco-friendly, vegan, leather-wrapped, aromatherapy-scented, disco ball-equipped, self-driving car? If you see it on the road, you can likely find it on Auto Trader. Big cars, small cars, blue cars, new cars, used cars, electric cars, and one day, maybe even flying cars. With millions of options to choose from, buying a car becomes a whole lot easier. See it. Find it. Auto Trader. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by the 2012 Toyota Camry. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. And you put us together, give us a little nectar, let us um, collect pollen with the hair on our bodies, and you have Stuff You Should Know. That'd be a lot of pollen. You know? Yeah. We'd be honey making fools. Yeah. You know who'd be best at is Robin Williams. Oh man, that guy's scary. Yes. You would be a honey making fool. <laughs> how you doing? Uh well, sir, how are you? I'm pretty good. It's a little early. Uh it is. It is. But you're feeling good? Yeah, man. I love recording in the mornings. Yeah. <laughs> Been up since six AM reading about bees. Yeah. Well, this is a, uh, I can imagine you could, you could have gotten up at four or five because it's like the most extensive article in yeah. the universe. It is. How bees work. It's a Tracy Wilson joint. So it's thorough and exhaustive mm-hmm. and exhausting. Yes. But it's a good one, dude. I love bees. Do you? Yeah. I hate bees. Do you really? Yeah. Why? Because they sting. They hurt. They make me get up at 6 a.m. You don't think they're fascinating creatures? Uh, yeah, it doesn't mean I like them. Oh, okay. Well, you got to talk about them anyway. How about yeah. that? <laughs> um, I don't really have much of a of an intro, which is probably for the best because this is a really long episode. There's a lot of facts. Yeah, there are. And parts and things. Let's talk bees, man. How long have they been around? Bees have been around for a gazillion years. <laughs> Uh, they've been around for a long time. Ancient uh, Egyptians, um, in fact, thought they were sort of magical creatures that the sun god Ra cried down upon the earth. Yeah. Which is fanciful. And that's where bees came from. But the, that's not where they came from. No. Uh, the San people think uh, that we came from bees, of the Kalahari, the San people. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they have this uh, creation myth that a bee was carrying a manis across the desert. Uh-huh. Got tired died before it died it laid some eggs in the mantis and then that became the first human and that's where we came from i'd buy that really sure why not (laughs) uh a lot of people used to think that um including beekeepers that they reproduced spontaneously they didn't like have uh, intercourse to do so and uh this was true until the mid 1600s when a very cool dude named jam swammerdam Examined bees under a microscope and saw little reproductive parts. Yeah, we got it all wrong. He went, oh, and I'm James Swammerdam. Yeah, that's a pretty great name. <laughs> it's a great name. The Dutch are good at that. Uh, is that what he was? 
It's got to be. You think? Swammerdam? Yeah. Jam Swammerdam? Probably so. Uh, and there are like 20,000 species of bees, but we're going to concentrate mainly on honeybees. Yeah, mostly. A little bit of, uh, what are the other ones? Not the bumblebees, but uh, well, we'll talk a little bit about bumblebees too. Yeah, pretty much those two. Yeah. But, but mostly honeybees. They're yeah. the most studied. I think they're the most fascinating. But social and non, and uh, I don't want to say antisocial. Uh, <laughs> solitary? <laughs> yeah, solitary bees. Antisocial is maybe a way to describe it. But those are two, two categories that we're going to dive into. Yeah. So surprisingly, bees go back even further than the ancient Egyptians. The, uh, the oldest bee fossil that they found is about 100 million years old. And they think that at some point around then, during the Cretaceous period, bees diverged from wasps. Yeah. Not necessarily from wasps. It doesn't mean that um, bees evolved from wasps, but that right. possibly they shared a, a common wasp-like ancestor. I bet that was creepy. Man, I'll, and I'll bet it was like eight feet long, Some too. ancient super period. wasp. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and this is about the same time, too, not coincidentally, when uh, flowering plants started doing their thing. Uh, before this, if you wanted to, you know, do the the tree thing you had to plant thing you had to do like what conifers do dropping your cones and counting on the wind and nature to do your work yeah which may or may not work but thankfully bees came along and they said hey you know what we can help take your pollen mr flower yeah so so bees and flowering plants angiosperms yeah co-evolved and that was a big step for bees they're kind of like the um uh sweet philosophy majors of the the wasp family uh, they just went off and became herbivores. Yeah. Whereas their wasps, uh, their wasp relatives or wasp cousins were carnivores. And not only carnivores, carnivores that used ovipositors to lay their eggs in other animals, and other meat. bugs. Yeah. That's gross. It is. And it's very aggressive. Yeah. Um, but as we said, bees became herbivores. They mm-hmm. just go around to flowers. All they want is to just be left alone, collect pollen and nectar. And then, uh, you know, pollinate flowers along the way. Sure. And they're very happy with their lives like that. They, they're into the pan flute and uh, Birkenstocks. You think bees are like hippies? A little bit. Yeah. You've never been attacked by a dozen hippies? No, actually more than a dozen. I was stung a dozen times. Is that right? I told that story before in the uh, Colony Collapse podcast when I was tagged in the head and face 12 times. Oh, yeah, that rings a bell. One of my worst days. Yeah. Very painful. Um, so let's talk about parts. The bee's body is pretty remarkable. Um, it's got an exoskeleton mm-hmm. made of a chitin, chitin, movable mm-hmm. plates of this chitin. Yeah, it's almost like a suit of armor, it sounds like. Yeah. That's pretty neat. Uh, they've got, like we said, a lot of hairs all over their body, little fuzzies that um, they collect the pollen, mm-hmm. help regulate uh, body temp, keep it cool or warm, depending on what's going on. And uh, like a lot of insects, they have they're divided into little sections. Right. Uh, the head, the thorax, and the abdomen in this case. Right. And the brain is in the head. And it's not a big brain. No, but it's pretty awesome. Well, yeah, because it's specialized. Yeah. So a bee brain has about nine hundred and fifty thousand neurons. That seems like a lot for a small insect. It does. In a small brain. Right. Um, but apparently it's not. And uh, the reason why we know it's not is because. Just based on the number of neurons, bees should be incredibly stupid and very simple animals, and they're not. The reason why is because the neurons in a bee's head 
are extremely specialized. And rather than being recruited by some like executive function like we have yeah. in our uh, frontal lobes, their neurons kind of act on their own and communicate with other neurons to carry out a very specific activity. Yeah. Right? So this division of labor in the brain allows bees to do a lot of stuff that it would require a bigger brain to, to do normally. It's pretty ingenious. Yes, that's right. Bees were pretty smart when they figured out how to do this right. to themselves. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they have a couple of uh, sensory antenna, uh, five eyes. Three of them are simple, a silly, and then two compound eyes. And they have lots of uh, repeating parts called omatidia. I think so. And they can actually see polarized light. They specialize in patterns. And humans can't do that, obviously. No. we would be like... Just try. The predator, maybe? Is that what that looks like? That's thermal imaging. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's thermal. Polarized would be... Um, you can wear uh, polarized glasses. Exactly. Yeah. Like your uh, your polarized sunglasses. Oh, yeah. Remember those? Yeah. <laughs> Before I got the Ray-Bans. Yeah. Instead of Ray-Ban, it said polarized. Polarized. Yeah. That's what you get for eight bucks yeah. at CVS. But they worked. You had them forever. Yeah, until they broke. So that's how you saw polarized light. Bees don't even need sunglasses from CVS. They no. just see it naturally. And the reason this is important is because, um, as we'll see later on, they use the sun to navigate. And being able to see polarized light, that means they can see clear through cra- clouds yeah. when it's overcast and know where the sun is. That's right. Very important. Uh, like a lot of insects, they got the little mouth parts. I know we've talked about mouth parts, I think, in uh, fleas maybe. Uh, flies. Flies. Yeah. Flies and fleas. Uh, they have the jaws or the paired mandibles, the tongue or the glossa, and then the lips, which are the labrum and the maxilla. Mm-hmm. And they support the proboscis, which I think most people know is the, the pollen sniffing device. And collecting. Yeah. Well, when I mean sniff, I mean sniff it up in there. Yeah, it's like a, an aardvark's trunk. Yeah, pretty much. But instead of huffing ants, it huffs nectar, right? That's right. Uh, you got two pair of wings. Right. You got three pair of legs. The wings are uh, actually part of the skeleton, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And is, so if you're a little uh, boy that's tearing wings off of a bee, you're actually breaking its skeleton. You need a spanking. You need a, to get stung. Oh, yeah. That's, that's how you learn too. that lesson. Poetic justice. Exactly. And uh, they the, the a row of hooks called the hamuli connect the wings so they are just beating together in synchronicity. But they don't connect all the time. They're not fused together. The The wings are separate. Front wing, Four wings and rear wings are separate. Yeah. And then when they really want to get going flying, they hook together using the hamuli. And that's to fly, though. Right. Yeah. It'll really take off. Oh, like they have different speeds of flying? Yeah. And they connect or disconnect? Yeah. Depending on that? Yeah. Oh, Tracy skipped that part. <laughs> so much for thorough. <laughs> Uh, and then you got the legs, which, um, starting from the body working out, you have the coxa, the trochanter, the femur, the tibia, and the tarsus, aka hip, thigh, shin, foot. And that's the body for the most part. Yeah, but the legs are also kind of specialized. They're almost like, uh, Swiss Army legs. It's pretty cool. They've got different kinds of hair. Yeah. You've got, uh, brush hair, comb hair, depending on the kind of pollen you're collecting, mm-hmm. and then basket like hairs that hold pollen. You've got a pad and a claw, so you can, like, grab things. Yeah. Uh, you can strangle other bees if you want. Really? You're a bee. Um, and this is kind of cool. There's a small groove uh-huh. in the arm, in the leg, for scraping pollen from the antenna. And then, lastly, there's a press on the bottom for packing pollen into things. 
That's pretty neat, if you ask me. That is pretty neat. Swiss Army leg. Is that what you call it? That's what I call it. <laughs> Very nice. You should put a patent on that. So, yeah. So, Chuck, when you, you know, when you accidentally squish a bee and you look down at it and its guts are everywhere, it's not red. The blood isn't red. And actually, it doesn't necessarily have what we would call blood. It's called hemolymph. And it, it has oxygen just suspended in it. Yeah. It doesn't have red blood cells, which is why bee blood, hemolymph is clear. Yeah. I don't, you don't see a lot of insects with red blood, do you? Uh, only only Americans. <laughs> Red-blooded insects. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, we can't overlook the stinger. Um, that is uh, where the bee's abdomen is, and it's a, an appendage. And like we said before, it's a egg depositor, an ovipositor. And then the uh, lancets will sting you and deliver venom from the poison sac mm-hmm. and a venom gland. And once again, these wasp-like ancestors, they think that's where the bee's got the venom, and it's just a leftover trait from that, even though they didn't go on to lay their eggs in meat. Right, That's which is why the wasps evolved venom to subdue their prey while they were laying eggs and eating them and all that stuff. And bees, like you said, had it left over, but they just have it for defense. Yeah, and I guess it was obviously a, a trait worthy of keeping. Sure. And, uh, like, if I had a stinger and could inject people with venom, I'd keep it around. Sure. Use it on occasion. You'd be like, come on, evolution, just let me have it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, there are stingless bees, though, um, quite a few species, and they don't have stingers at all. No, and they were very handy uh, among the Maya until very recently for beekeeping because you just stick your hand in there and be like, I'm taking your honey, and what are you going to do? Nothing. That's great. Because you're a stingless bee. They couldn't even bite or anything? No, they or just yell. stand idly by. That's their thing. Tummies. Um, so, Chuck, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of stuff that a bee produces. They're like pubescent children. They just produce all these different things with all these different glands all yeah. the time. They're secreting stuff all the time. But it's very useful stuff. That's right. Uh, and then, Chuck, you know how when uh, you get stung, uh, sometimes you hear or you've heard the, a bee will die after it stings you. Yeah, I think most people think that all bees die when they sting you. Not true. No, it depends on the type of stinger they have. Yeah. Uh, honeybees, for the most part, except for the queen honeybee, have barb stingers. And if a bee has a barb stinger, it is going to stick in you. If you're a mammal, a bee can sting other insects with a barb yeah. stinger and live uh, after stinging repeatedly. If it stings in a mammal, we have this um, fat, meaty flesh yeah. that the barb stinger hooks into. And when the bee flies away, it leaves its stinger and its abdomen and guts stuck in you. Yeah. And so it dies which is why if you have a barb stinger, you can only sting once. But some bees do have smooth stingers and can sting mammals as often as they like. Yeah, I wonder how often that, uh, how long that takes for the bee to die. Because, you know, they sting you and they fly away. I wonder if it's like a few minutes or a couple of hours or if they just like... I would think pretty quick. ...go quietly and bleed out or... Yeah, but I mean, how long does it take a bee to bleed out? I don't know, or probably he- not long. hemolymph out. But I know when I've been stung, I see them fly away yeah. and... They look like they're doing all right to me. And right when you turn around, they just go, I guess. I'm going to trail the next bee that stings me. I'm going to follow it. You're going to track it? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to track it. You totally should. All right. So uh, you want to talk about some juices and stuff? Some venom? Yeah, we should talk about venom. Remember the difference between a venomous organism and a poisonous organism is venom is produced in the body. Yeah. Poison's outside, right? That's right. Uh, and a bee's venom uh, basically destroys cells. 
like it's pretty hardcore stuff. It's a good thing it's in small quantities, probably. Mm-hmm. I can imagine if it was larger quantities, it could be pretty destructive. But uh, they have peptides and enzymes break through the fat linings of the cell, destroy the mast cells, uh, and that releases histamine. This is where we get into like whether or not you're allergic, you could be in big trouble. Yeah, because histamine is part of your immune response. Yeah, which is a good thing. You know, you want that. Right, and histamines uh, open the the blood vessels so that you can get your antibodies, your immune your immune cells to the site much more quickly. Yeah, but if you have a bee allergy, your immune system is too large; it's too big a response. Your blood vessels dilate so much that you lose blood pressure and fall over, um, which is called anaphylactic shock. That's right. And that can kill people. Yeah. Dead. Yep. And uh, if you are allergic to bees, you uh, almost 100% in likelihood have an epinephrine shot with you yep. uh, because it's dangerous stuff. And that will constrict the blood vessels and save your life, hopefully. Right. If you get it in time, I imagine. It depends on the person. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Um, so like we said, there's 20,000, approximately 20,000 bee species under the superfamily uh, Apodia or Apodia. How do you say that? Um, let's go with Apodia. Apodia? Apodia. <laughs> and uh, depending on the bee, you're going to have a different kind of nest, but uh, they are similar you know, in a lot of cases. So we'll break it down into honeybees and bumblebees. For the nesting purposes, and for social, those are—they're both social. That's right. Kind of bees they are. So uh, you've got um, among honeybees, you have a perennial nest, which is always around. That's kind of cool. They yeah. build the same nest and for life. Yeah, I love that. Uh, and for generations, um, and they build it by secreting um, stuff out of their glands, because bees are like the pubescent children, human children of the of the insect world. They're right. always secreting stuff out of their glands, but they make good use of it. And one of the things that they use it for is uh, wax to build yeah. nests, hives. And, yeah, and these are all ladies, by the way. It's a very important point. Yeah, these if, are all little women workers. Uh, and the reason why is because male bees, for the most part, are around to fornicate, and that's about it. In fact, they don't even have a lot of the parts that you need to be a a real bee. <laughs> to collect pollen or yeah, nectar or anything stuff. like that. They're there to reproduce, and that's it. Yeah, in fact, they will even get kicked out of the hive mm-hmm. if things get a little too crowded and food is scarce. Or winter's coming. The the women will say, all right, it's time for you guys to, to leave. Yeah, you we're, don't we're have to go home, party on our but own. you can't stay here. That's right. I wonder what, what they do. They probably say, I'm going to sting you if you don't get out of here. No, I wonder what the males do, though. But they go off and die. Do they die they or do freeze. they form their own little, like, boys club? Uh, I have the impression that male bees are kind of too oafish to, to yeah. think of that kind of thing. Dummies. Yeah, but so if you see a bee collecting pollen, yeah, in almost every species, that's a female bee. If it, you see a bee stinging you or feel a bee stinging you, yeah. that's a female because the stinger is an ovipositor, which makes it a female part. That's right. right. Um, but as we were saying, the nests that are built and maintained and, and uh, stocked, um, are all done by females with the honeybee. That's right. And it's perennial. Yes. And uh, in that little nest, if the queen bee uh, is, de- the queen bee will be delivering um, a queen substance. It's mm-hmm. a pheromone. And if. Get another secretion. Another secretion. If, and if the little lady bees start getting less and less of this, they'll say, you know what? We need to split up and make a new queen and a new hive. And let's just go ahead and start this process now. 
and let's pick a new queen and start feeding her royal jelly, another secretion, mm-hmm. and um, raise her right, right on this royal jelly. So with a, about half of the workers and the old queen take off and found a new um, hive. I guess there's too much pressure on the new queen to start. I, I guess so. Yeah, They're like we got this place built for you. Right. You just grow up and take care of it. And that's what happens. The new queen grows up, and and uh, the hive basically divides like a cell into yeah. two. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. Um, solitaire or not solitaire bumblebees. Yeah. Found uh, they found annual um nests, and basically I like that idea too though. New yeah. digs every year. It's not getting attached to something. Sure. Yeah. Um. So they in the uh, in the fall the queen mates spends the winter underground. Mm-hmm. In the spring she lays some eggs that turn out to surprisingly mostly be females, if not all females. Yeah. And they help her build a nest. And in the summer, she lays uh, some more eggs. Those hatch into males. Those males fly off, and all of the uh, male bumblebees somehow scientists haven't figured out how they do it. They figure they get a uh, uh, they say, "Hey, we're all going to be over here to mate this Friday." Right. We'll see you guys there. Yeah. Then all the queens from all the individual nests for miles around come over, and everybody copulates, yep. and then they leave the scrunchie on the door. Yeah. <laughs> and then that's that. Yep. And the, the, that's the, the cycle starts anew. The female lays eggs or goes back underground for the winter. That's right. And these are the social bees, like we said. Um, however, less than 15% of bees are social, even though they're the ones we usually think of more as far as like hives and nests and things. My favorite are the solitary bees. Why? Because they're doing their own thing. My, my really favorite reason why is because the different ways they uh, make their home. Yeah. I just think it's really cool. Yeah, so like social bees are, are known from the type of hives they have. That's kind of how they're divided. But yeah, yeah. The, the way that they, they make their homes for solitary bees, that's yeah, that's a good definition. And category. solitary bees, they'll get together on occasion if they need to like band together for defense or something. Mm-hmm. But they generally do their own thing. Right. Um, so some of the different ways that these guys can make homes, like carpenter bees, which are my favorites, um, they bore holes in wood and unpainted like raw wood yeah and they usually are like the spitting image of a, a bumblebee yeah but if you see a bumblebee going into a hole in like your door jam that's yeah. a carpenter bee i like carpenter bees i think it's cool yeah, they get the, the little tool belt yeah they always have a pencil behind their ear yeah and they're always late yeah and the, the job is never done on time but and- they'll tell you straight <laughs> this is going to cost two to three times what i originally estimated exactly uh i just think it's cool that they can actually bore into the wood like that it's amazing and they're always like perfectly little round holes too. I know. I like. What's surprising is they use their eyes to bore. Little lasers shoot out of them. Oh wow! <laughs> I don't think I knew that. Yeah. Tracy skipped that too. Yeah. Uh, there are the plasterer bees. Um, they dig little holes in tunnels and line them with another secretion that's sort of like plaster. Yeah. Makes sense. The leaf cutters. What do they do? They uh, they Cut use leaves. those uh, <laughs> those um, grasping claws. Remember, and yeah. then they bite leaves apart with their their mouths and line their nests with them because they like to be nice and comfy mason bees used to be a mason bee yeah yeah um and i would uh, secrete something from my jaws it, that basically was like mortar and put sand and pebbles together yeah. to make a nest that's a strong <laughs> nest this is like basically the the, the three pigs of the bee kingdom oh, yeah. we're going from like think about that we're going from uh leaves to wood yeah wood and sand yeah Nice. <laughs> the Carter Bee. 
It's a, they like furry, woolly parts of plants, and that's basically they're like the uh, Bob Guccione bees. Yeah. I bet that's a homie nest. Yeah, they wear silk robes and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, and then my favorite thing is when uh, Tracy points out a few species actually will like check out an empty snail shell and say, that looks like a very nice little apartment. I'm just going to move in there. And you want to move in? Let's just divide it up with more secretions. And you take that half. We'll make it a duplex. Yeah. That is really cool. Or others will go into an old ant hill or termite hill or a wasp nest and be like, hello. And if they hear back, hello, 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 they'll they'll say, well, this is where I'm going to lay my eggs. It's already built. Yeah. And the cuckoo bee. These guys are dumb. They <laughs> go, they're a parasitic bee, not in that they eat other bees, but that they um, they lay their eggs in other bees' nests and just say, sayonara. Yeah, Good and they rely on their kid. pollen. It just—it's like I, I, I feel like they're dumb. Yeah. They like they can't figure it out on their own, right. so they just kind of sneak in there in the dead of night yeah. and do their thing. Yeah, sweat bees. Remember it's those little guys? Very aptly named. They are after your sweat. I thought that was sort of a wives' tale. It's not. No. They're sweat bees. That's right. The orchid bee is another good example of coevolution. Um, they think that the orchid bee, with its extremely long pro- proboscis, um, basically evolved to get the nectar out of orchids, which keeps its nectar very deep in the flower blossom. Yeah. Evolution. Staring you in the face. Uh, the scariest bee, Josh, is there such thing as a killer bee? Uh, no, that's kind of a media hype. I mean, any bee, especially if you had a bee allergy, could kill, could kill you. Yeah. Um, but, but what are, what are killer bees? So back in the 50s, I think 1957 in Brazil, some uh, apiarists, uh, some beekeepers, imported some African honeybees. And they got loose. And they went and mated with the European honeybees that were already in the area. Yeah. And what you had was Africanized honeybees, which are virtually identical to European honeybees, but they are Far more aggressive, especially if they think you're messing with their hive. And I wonder they how that happens. Sting you. you know, like Africans and Europeans mating, that makes them aggressive. That's just interesting Yeah, how you combine those two and all of a sudden they're just pissed off. Yeah. But then at some point, the media got a hold of it as they started to approach from Brazil upward toward America. Yeah, we have some here, right, in the States. Yeah. They made it to Texas, Florida, I believe. Maybe yeah. even Georgia. California, Arizona. I bet there's some in South Georgia. And um, they, the media went crazy over killer bees. That seems like a 70s thing. I sort of remember that. I thought it was 80s. Was there, was there a movie or something? Oh, I'm sure. Like a swarmy movie? Yeah. <laughs> I think there had to be. Or there should be. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jean, and Vlastor on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Jean! Run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Um, so reproduction, the fun, sexy stuff. This is actually really fun, I think, because, uh, bees can live up to five years. Some of them, honeybees. I think that's the queen. Just the queen? Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense. Cause I didn't get, cause it's Tracy also said that some of them don't even live through the winter. I guess it just depends. Right. That's why I think it was the queen that she was referring to. Okay. Up to five years. That's amazing. Span. Yeah. For an insect? Sure. I mean, she's well taken care of. Yeah, she doesn't have to do a lot. <laughs> That's right. Uh, the males, like we said, are the, they're there to, to deposit their male parts in. And unfortunately, they don't leave with their male parts. Yeah. Depending on the species of bee, they may, much like uh, stinging a, a mammal, once they copulate. Does that work for bees? Copulation? Yeah. Sure. Um, they leave their, like you said, their man parts in the female and die as a result. They tear their, the their the abdomen out. takes it more than he leaves it. Oh, is that right? I don't know. I just have a feeling. The the female bees just seem like they, they're the smart ones. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like I have your, you know, what's it called? Your, um... Not a penis. No, it's not a penis. <laughs> They're endophallus. Okay. I've got your endophallus, <laughs> and I'm not giving it back. Exactly. And now you're dead. That's right. Um, so with honeybees specifically, I, I think the uh, queen bee is the only one that lays eggs. Is that correct? Um, no. The queen, uh, honeybees, females will lay like a few eggs during their lifetime, but the queen bee lays thousands. Okay. All right. So it is possible for a female yeah. honeybee to lay an egg. Okay, but for the most part, or just a few carrying on the hive. That's up to the queen. Oh yeah, right, big time. Um, the uh, and then once an egg is laid, it goes through the same stages that like a caterpillar will. Yeah, I never knew that either. That's yeah. pretty cool. So like you lay an egg and it hatches into a larva, which mm-hmm. looks like a little worm, a little sick, gross white worm. Yeah. Um, and it's fed. By workers for a couple of days, yeah. fed royal jelly, which you said they secrete from their heads, right? Yeah. Do the I don't think the regular bees get the royal jelly, do they? For the first two days. Oh, for just two days. That's right. right. If you want to make a queen, you feed that bee. Uh, you feed any female larva um, royal jelly the whole time until it hatches. You're raising her, yeah, okay. until she spins a cocoon. So uh, they get royal jelly a couple of days. They uh, they molt. Um, they the Workers seal off the honeycomb, which is an egg chamber in this case. Yeah, each little one. Yeah. Those, like, build a little door, basically. Yeah, and it's one per. 
No more. That's right. No less. Uh, and then the uh, larva spins a cocoon and eventually emerges as an adult. And I've heard tell that the first thing a bee does when it's born uh-huh. is clean out its egg chamber oh, really? for the next bee. They're very busy and tidy and like yeah. <laughs> they've got a lot of stuff to do. For sure. Uh, and here's the other cool thing. Males will get a, a little bit larger cell, but the the queen can actually decide whether or not to have a male or a female. Yeah. That's remarkable. Yeah, because um, a, a queen will collect sperm enough for her lifetime. In one shot? It, yeah, in one mating season, right. as I understand yeah, it. Yeah, no. And then... And then <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, she'll dole it out depending on what kind of uh, bees the hive needs at any That's point. That's amazing. Time. So what's the what's the magic sauce then? Uh, what how she does this? Yeah, um, she stores. All right, if she uses stored sperm uh-huh. to fertilize the egg, then she hatches female. If she leaves the egg unfertilized, then it's a male. Right. So it's up to her. And what's crazy is this: this it all depends on what kind of state the hive's in. Like, do you need more workers? Sure. To go gather more food. Yeah. Um, or do you need more males to reproduce? It's pretty cool. Yeah, how they strike that balance with that tiny little brain. Yeah. I guess years of experience. <laughs> how do they pick the queen, too? Do you know that? I don't know. Is it just random and then they start them on the royal jelly and that just gets the process That's going? That's the impression that I have. That as long as yeah. it's a fertilized uh, egg that will become a female, yeah. then I, I think you could feed any of those royal jelly. It's probably one of the queen's daughters, though, as opposed to one of the few of the others. Right. Don't you think? Uh, to keep that royal bloodline intact? Yeah, I would think. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's just a guess. I bet somebody knows. I mean, what if what if they accidentally raised a cuckoo bee's egg as yeah. a queen? Jeez. What a colossal nightmare that would be. It'd be like Pixar Kevin made a movie like that? Over or something. <laughs> um, okay, so the, bee, uh, the little eggs hatch and the little worker bees, they have different jobs according to their age. But they are going to be taking care of the, the young at this point. Um, they're going to be feeding them uh, pollen or bee bread, which is uh, pollen and nectar mixed together. It sounds delicious, actually. It is. And, you know, a lot of people think that bees are just only after nectar. No, they, they collect pollen on purpose as well, and they use it to make bee bread. That's right. And bee bread does sound very delicious. <laughs> uh, and so as you get older, though, you're going to have different jobs and... Um, at first, you're a nurse, and then, like you said, once you get a little older, you might be a maid or a butler and clean. Oh, not a butler, I guess a maid, right? And start cleaning out the other, uh, you know, the other empty cells. Yeah. Even though you said you're supposed to do it yourself, I guess they, you know, some are lazy, maybe. Sure. Some some other worker bee has to come behind and take care of their business. And they're like, I'm going to keep my eye on you. <laughs> exactly. And then they also learn at that point how to forage for food, and. Make honey, and this is where things get kind of fun. Those are and those are the oldest ones. Yeah, the oldest ones are the scouts, and the ones that forage are the oldest bees in the hive. Yeah, the followers. Yeah, um, and I want to say real quick too. First, Chuck, um, that that was um, social bee reproduction. Yeah, um, solitary bee reproduction is very sad sometimes. In some species, the mother lays an egg, seals up this um, the whatever she's used to, as the nest yeah. with a little bee bread, little honey, whatever. And then takes off and dies. And they never see their little baby bee. Nope. That is sad. Isn't that sad? It is. So uh, bees find their food in pretty remarkable ways. They can smell like really, really well. Yeah. And like we said, they can recognize color patterns and things. And they have their solar compass. So this allows them to 
see where the sun is. They also have an internal clock. So when they go out, the scout bees, and find the food, they know, well, the sun's right there. And I flew hmm, 300 yards. Now I'm flying back, and the sun is right there. So they can actually use those together to pinpoint or pinpoint for the others where the food is because they're going back to tell everyone, right. hey, and they you know, let them taste like this is what you're after. Mm-hmm. Taste a little bit of this. And now come with me by way of this dance. Right. Literally. So they can remember and, and judge and measure where they went, where the food source was, but then they also can communicate it, like you said, through dancing. Um, and if food's really close by, they'll just basically run up a vertical wall of a honeycomb, yeah. which they call the dance floor. Yeah. Um, and we, not just us. It's no, it's like, called the dance floor. That's what people who study bees call it. Um, and they basically just run up or down in, in the direction of the food source in relation to the sun, not in relation to the hive. Yeah. When they go out, they'll be like, oh, okay, the sun's over here. It's in, it's in this direction. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's called the round dance. Right. And they depend on their sense of smell because they don't get super specific with the round dance. Yeah. They're like, well, I'll get you out there, and then you'll know. Trust me. Exactly. Yeah. Because bees can smell from meters away, which is, that's a really far distance yeah, considering how bee. small bees are. Sure. Um, and when the, when the food's a little further away, they do the actual waggle dance. And, um, basically this is running again in a, in a line in yeah. the direction of the food and then making these little, um, circles in opposing directions at the end of the line. So they'll run up and then go to the left in a circle and then run up and then go to the right in a circle. Um, and that tells everybody where the, uh, where the food is and then the quality of the food source. How tight the circle is, I think, kind of says it's really, really good. Yeah. Or if it's a big loping circle, maybe they're like, it's okay. Yeah. We've had better. Uh, and then the bee's also flapping its wings at the same time. And all the bees that have gathered around, like you said, um, are called followers. Yeah. They're the oldest ones in the hive. And they're taking all this information in. And a specific group of them are going to be directly behind the bee while it's doing this waggle dance. Feeling flapping that wind. Its wind mm-hmm. that, yeah, flapping its wings. And that wind is going to tell them about how long they need to travel for. And then all the bees take off. When they get to about the right area, they go into like a search pattern mm-hmm. until somebody finds it, and then they start making trips back and forth. Yep. I mean, they're delivering a lot of information here. Yeah. Very specific information. And um, they make about a dozen trips. Uh, each bee can carry about half her weight in pollen or nectar, which is amazing. Yeah. And then um, when they come back to unload the stuff, there's more communication going on because the little unloaders that are back at the hive – will behave differently according to how much uh, more food they need. If they're like, come on, come on, give it, give it, give it, that right. means keep going, keep going. And if they're like, eh, yeah, I guess I'll take it since you brought it, but we're really doing okay. Right, and that after means they're that, stopped they're, up. they're like, all right, well, I'm not going to get any more if you're just not going to be excited about it any longer. Let's just find some men to have sex with. Right. <laughs> or let's turn this nectar into honey. Yes. Just because for storage purposes, honey has far less volume than nectar. It's basically concentrated nectar. Yeah. So you can store more of it, right? That's right. So they transform nectar into honey in a, in a kind of a gross way. Um, they regurgitate it over and over and over, which evaporates the water out of it. And um, they also flap their little wings to, I guess, use air to do the same thing. And so honey is a bunch of regurgitated bee stuff because there's it's bee vomit yeah i mean there's bee stuff in there as well yeah it's not just nectar yeah. like they're sucking the the moisture out but they're also adding enzymes and stuff yeah their own from junk. their body to make honey it's not just dehydrated nectar it's 
it's honey's a, a different thing that's made by this stuff. That's right. But it has some pretty amazing properties to it. Um, one of the things that's added f- during this regurgitation process is called a uh, glucose oxidase. Yeah. And um, when it's fed to young, to the young, it's broken down into glucose, which gives them tons of energy because yeah. there's a lot of sugar calories in in honey. But it's also broken down into um, uh, hydrogen peroxide, which is one of the things that gives honey its antimicrobial and antibacterial properties. That's right. And that's why humans have been using it and eating it for thousands and thousands of years mm-hmm. to treat uh, wounds occasionally. Yeah. It can be good in a pinch if you're a survivalist. Yeah, especially an open wound. Um, there, so, I mean, you've heard that honey is um, like you, it keeps forever, basically. Uh, obviously, it doesn't keep forever, but it'll keep a very long time. Yeah. That's one of the big reasons. Another reason is that um, it has a high osmotic pressure and it's hygroscopic, which means it wicks moisture out of the air around it. Yeah. And since it has a high osmotic pressure, it does it really strongly. Uh-huh. So if you're a little nice, um, moisturized piece of bacteria um, and you come in contact with honey, it's going to suck the moisture out of you and kill you. So antibacterial. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. Uh, if you come across a beehive in the wintertime and they just seem like they're all in there asleep, hibernating, not so. Uh, they're still pretty active. They, um, they will leave the hive to... Poop and pee because, well, I guess they don't pee. <laughs> but they, they leave the hive to do their business because they don't want to go in their little cell, which, again, they're very tidy little creatures. Yeah. They know not to, like, wallow in their own feces. Right. Not feces, but bee poop scat. <laughs> bee scat. Uh, but they are still pretty busy in there because they have to keep warm. So they, and especially keep the queen warm, and so they tremble, just like humans kind of shiver, mm-hmm. just to increase the warmth. Then the summertime, they will flap their wings to kind of keep things climate controlled on the cooler side. And drip water on the honeycomb, too. Oh, yeah. Too. That's yeah. amazing. They are pretty amazing creatures, if you they ask are. me. And I still hate them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we should also say um, real quick that while bee uh, honey has a lot of antibacterial properties and antimicrobial properties, one particular bacteria that is impervious to honey's defenses is um, Clostridium botulinum, a.k.a. botulism. Oh, yeah. The bacteria that gives you botulism. Um, and since it's soil-borne, uh, it's very easy for C. botulinum to get into honey. It's right. in honey. Any honey you eat is going to have it in there. It's not in large enough measure to affect us, but it could be life-threatening to a baby, mm-hmm. which is why they always say, like, never give honey to a baby. Oh, yeah? Ever. Huh. Uh, you know, I don't think we mentioned either the honey. You know, you have different flavors of honey. That depends on what the bee has been, uh, what kind of flowers the bee's been hanging out yeah. with. Yeah. So like orange blossom honey is... Or clover. Or is orange blossom and clover. Yeah. So I never knew that either. Makes perfect sense. Bees. I thought it was like an added flavor or something. <laughs> you know, like we have the honey. Yellow number let's... five. Yeah, whatever. You know, we'll make different flavors of yeah, honey. I didn't know it was like naturally occurring. You're like, when is, are they going to make bacon honey? <laughs> oh, man. I bet that's good. Oh, you just <laughs> cook some bacon, put some honey on it. Yum. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jin, and Vlastor on the business. I understand now. It is a wise man who marries a wiser woman. 
But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby Award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Um, and, you know, we had, we did a podcast on uh, colony collapse disorder. Yeah. So I would encourage uh, people to go listen to that as well. It was a good one. In the archives. Um, you got anything else? I got nothing else. Okay. So it's bees. If you want to learn more about bees, you should go check out this very thorough um, article on HowStuffWorks.com. You can type in bees, and it will bring it up, and you can learn even more, including about colony collapse disorder yeah. and um, beekeeping as well. Yeah. Maybe we should do beekeeping one day. Okay. I don't mean a podcast. I mean just start our own little oh, gotcha. side, side business. Yeah. <laughs> Haven't we already? Don't you have like a smoker and everything? Uh, yeah. TV will tell you I do. Um <laughs> Okay, so since I said uh, search bar, I think I did, at HowStuffWorks.com, then that means it's time for, of course, listener mail. All right, Josh, I'm going to call this uh, Correction from a Librarian. Remember we did our book banning podcast? Shh. <laughs> that's her correction. Yeah, that's all she said. <laughs> and that is from Carly. Thank you, Carly. <laughs> uh, hey, guys, love your show. As a librarian, I was excited to hear what you had to say about book banning. However, I'd like to clear up a misconception about the role of a librarian in banning books. Uh, you said if a customer or patron approaches a librarian and wants a book banned, it is up to the librarian to decide. Uh, this is not. This could not be further from the truth in 99% of the cases. Uh, public libraries are run by boards of trustees, volunteers in the community who set policies for the library. Uh, these community members are not librarians, and when someone wants a book removed, they must fill out a form and submit it to the board, then the board reviews the material and the objection. Board of Trustees. Uh, it is the Board of Trustees who decides whether or not to remove the item. Uh, the Board of Trustees may consult with others, like librarians, uh, review sources, the community at large, etc., but it is not the librarian who decides whether to ban the book. Um, I hope to hear this corrected, she says. Bam. Because it is unfortunate to hear one's profession misconstrued in an international public forum. So that is from Carly. And she says, thanks and keep up the good work. Yeah. And shush. Thanks, Carly. Appreciate that. Um, it, I think everybody got that. It's pretty clear and concise. Yeah. It is not librarians in most cases who carry out the banning. It sounds like she might have been yelled at by somebody because of our podcast. 
Maybe. Well, she just yelled at us. <laughs> no, she was nice. Um, if you have a correction for us, we are always very much open to those. We want to hear them so we can pass them along because we like correcting ourselves and getting things right. You can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. And you can send us a good old-fashioned email at StuffPodcast at Discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by the 2012 Toyota Camry. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wooden! But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jon Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late-night legend Jon Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.